Welcome to the Standard Age Podcast, a casual conversation about the lives of entrepreneurs and those growing companies. I can't thank you enough for listening as these episodes have been a wonderful supplement to the line of apparel that I'm thrilled to share is steadily growing. If you like what you hear, please visit standard-h.com and sign up for our email list. The website not only hosts every episode of this show, but also allows you to explore the entire product assortment and our latest travel recommendations. As an email subscriber, you will be the first to receive product release information as well as receive offers no one else is privy to. Just visit standard-h.com for more information. Seeing Standard H worn by a growing number of watch enthusiasts has been incredibly cool to witness, so chances are good if you're listening to this, you're probably an enthusiast already. However, if not, it makes no difference as Passion Find Jewelry welcomes everyone into their shop in Solana Beach, California. If you're already in deep, you'll know some of the brands that Tim Jackson and his team carry, which are some of the most highly sought-after independent watch manufacturers sold today. Names like Roger Smith, Grunfeld, Kudoke, Habring, Sarpaneva, and many more. If you can't make it to California, visit passionfinejewelry.com for their entire offering online. This episode is also brought to you by Contonement. Contonement's flagship product, the Kerchief, is a perfect medium between a handkerchief and a bandana. Featuring iconic designs such as the Fender Stratocaster and the dashboard of a Volkswagen GTI, these utilitarian cloths are an item that should be a mainstay in your everyday carry. Tuck one in a back pocket or use one as a neckerchief. Visit them at contonement.co, that's C-A-N-T-O-N-M-E-N-T dot co, and use the code STANDARDH in all caps, no spaces, for 20% off everything in their online shop. Now let's get to the show. Blake Bettner and I connected originally in conjunction with the Worn and Wound podcast, which he graciously hosted me on back in the spring. If you haven't heard that episode, there's a link to it in the show notes, as well as in the press section in the footer of the Standard H website. That conversation comprised of all things Standard H, watches, and Formula One, which paved the way to the friendship Blake and I would now have. As a result, we marked our calendars for the weekend of wind-up watch fair in Chicago to sit down and reverse the roles so I could interview him. Blake was an early Hodinkee employee, he worked at StockX, he's a great writer and editor, an incredibly friendly guy, and he's a man with a ton of F1 passion, so I was excited for this one. Blake is a consummate professional since he hosts the podcast for Worn and Wound. This is effectively an uncut conversation, which was delightful. More than likely, a part two will take shape in the future, I'm sure especially as the world of watches continues to grow, things in racing maintain their spicy nature, and not to be overlooked, our next meetup, the Wind Up Watch Fair in New York City, October 21st through the 23rd. Be sure to come find us both and say hello, as well as check out the latest from Standard H live and in person. Of course, more reminders, etc. will be emailed and posted on Instagram, so stay tuned for those. For now, here's my conversation with Blake Bettner. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard H Podcast. Mr. Blake Bettner. Hello, hello. Worn and Wound Podcast host, editorial extraordinaire at Worn and Wound. I've been called worse things. Yeah. (laughs) How are you, man? 
I'm real good. Real good. good. Excited to be with you uh, here in Chicago. Uh, yeah. At the fair. It's been a good time. Sweet, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you for hosting me back in March, April-ish, whatever. Yeah, that was a fun discussion. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, we'll, the tides have turned and the roles will reverse in, in several respects here. Um, where did you grow up? Because I don't know. Not too far from where we are right this moment, actually. Uh, so we're in Chicago. I am actually from uh, Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin, Madison. Uh, so I was born and raised uh, just outside of Madison. Um, Did you go to UW? Yeah, I went to UW-Whitewater, actually, okay. uh, which is kind of between Milwaukee and Madison. Okay. Uh, and I studied uh, design, graphic design, multimedia design. Oh, no uh, way. There. Cool. But I was really into ceramics, oddly enough. So I would, like, throw pottery. Um, <clears throat> Plates, bowls. Big fan of the movie Ghost, I take it. Yeah, that was the inspiration. No, I don't know. It was something that you just kind of fall into. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd taken a first course there, and it's a steep learning curve to throwing pottery, but once you get into it, yeah, I was, I was all the way in. But a little more difficult to make a living, Yeah, I thought, out of that. And so I transitioned into uh, graphic design and stuff like that. So, are you? When was the last time you threw some, some bowls? In college. Oh, no way. So yeah, you haven't it's one of those you're like, oh, I could, I could do that as a hobby later on. Right. But, you know, finding a place to do this. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, kilns yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, Materials. Such is, such is life. Yeah. Interesting, man. Well, that definitely took a left turn quickly. Uh, <laughs> so what were you doing first out of college with a design degree? Uh, I was doing, like, website design. Uh, this was a long time ago, so the, you know, I worked for an ad network out in San Francisco. Okay. When I graduated, I hopped in a car, I drove to San Francisco, uh, to the, to the West coast. I thought, you know, I can make a living for myself out there. I'm pretty good. You know, sure. Like, uh, like every uh, young kid out of school thinks and, uh, you quickly kind of, you know, life gets you down and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I stuck with it, did web design, website design, uh, yeah. and, uh, the ad network that I worked for in San Francisco, worked with kind of high-end luxury brands trying to get them in front of affluent consumers on the internet cool uh, so i would develop like uh ad solutions for them sure uh, from like banners to back then like website skins or right. you know custom like sponsored content and, and stuff like that so um a lot of those brands happen to be watch brands okay uh, and uh one of the sites that uh was on our radar was um hodinkee yeah. And, um, you know, so this was early days uh, that that's how I got connected. Um, sure. So interesting. Okay. So when you were a kid though, like were your parents creative? Like what, what got you into design? I, I don't know. Uh, my, my, <laughs> like I always liked drawing. Yeah. Uh, and, but, and again, it's kind of the, well, how do I make a living out of all that stuff? So you just kind of right. f filter into these things. So, yeah. um, but no, my dad was a <clears throat> businessman, a big businessman. Um, he's got a good business head. And, uh, I think I soaked up a lot of that kind of stuff, uh, cause I enjoy that. I enjoy, I can hold my own in, in talking business, you know, right, uh, right. operations and that kind of stuff. Uh, so he was with, uh, Land's End. Uh, for many oh, years uh, yeah, sure. doing that. So uh, he uh, ran their international business, actually. So I lived in Japan uh, with him for uh, about a year. Uh, no moved, kidding. He, he moved the family over there. And so What part of Japan? Tokyo? Um, or was it? Yeah, actually, just outside of Yokohama. Okay, uh, sure, sure. Shushin, Yokohama. So. That's right near the coast, isn't it? Not too far. Yeah. No. Cool. Man, that's amazing. So what were the car situations when you were a kid? What did dad drive then? Uh, so... It's interesting because this was a fun time. This was uh, yeah. uh, mid-90s Japanese sports cars. <laughs> this legendary period. Uh, you know, 
R33, uh, R34 coming around, a Mark IV Supra, of course. Uh, yeah. But I always liked the MR2 back then. And nice. seeing these roll around was like, oh, that's so cool. They're like mini Ferraris. Yeah, like mini Ferraris. Uh, yeah, a little bit of like F355 in there, kind yeah. of, uh, in the mid-engine. Um, and, of course, the, uh, the, the, um, the turbocharged uh, uh, 3S GTE, I think, is the engine in there. Um, it's just a cool car uh, to this day. Really cool car. Yeah. Um, and in the Z cars, I always uh, liked a lot as well. The Nissan Zs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I ended up owning a couple of those uh, throughout the course of my car journey. Uh, but cool. yeah, it was no doubt a big influence on the kind of things that I enjoy. Like culturally, it was a big influence on me as a kid. Sure. Uh, so I soaked a lot of that up. Were you into like the car and driver magazines and stuff like that too? All of it. Yeah. 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 I was a big Porsche fan from a, from a very young age. Um, you know, I thought those were just the... Uh, just the coolest cars. And well, I still think that. <laughs> what was your introduction to Porsche? What model was it? Was it the 911? It would have been, uh, it would have been uh, probably like the 993 uh, Turbo. Okay. Uh, so Only one of the best ever. Yeah. And, and this was kind of like, as I was kind of coming of age and really into cars, this was like, whoa. Yeah. You know, this was the car. It had been in a couple of movies. Um, you know, and, and it was like. Was oh. it the Bad Boys car? Yeah. 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 Will Smith had yeah, yeah. one in Bad yeah. Boys. Um and uh, Bad Boys 2, he, and then he moved to the Ferrari, uh, I think the 550 Maranello yeah. or something like that. I remember it being a 550 or a 575. I couldn't remember Yeah, 575. Maybe one, one of them has like the smiley face on the bumper yeah. and the other one doesn't. I don't know. <laughs> also a really cool car. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So what was your first car personally? Um, my first car was uh, my father's Toyota Celica. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it was a 90s? A, yep, it was a 91 uh, GT, uh, and they had the pop-up headlights. It's yeah. like kind of like that rounded body a little bit. Yeah, I remember um, the rear being sort of like bubbly, and, and I think it said Celica on the back, yeah. but it yeah. wasn't filled in, so it was just the outline of the letters, I think. Yeah, it was. It was. A, it, it had style. It was a really cool car, yeah. I think, you know, and uh, he, he, you know, he, uh, you know, I, I started driving it to school. It was a stick, of course, and, um, you know, I just kind of learned by... Well, if you got to get somewhere, you figure it out pretty quick. <laughs> so. Yeah, I went to high school with a girl who had a red one, and I just was like, this girl is awesome. I was I like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That and like, you remember the Ford Probe of the same yeah. era that had the same kind of like curvy body? Of body. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally remember that. My best friend had a Probe GT in purple Ooh, in high school. That's a mean car. I like yeah. that. Okay. It's bold, bold statement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love uh, it. So, okay, sweet. So, how long were you in SF? I was there for, uh, boy, five or six years, I think. In the uh, city proper? <laughs> well, uh, and in the East Bay. And so I lived in um, Alameda for a stint, uh, Walnut Creek area. Sure. Uh, uh, but then in the city, like Union and Van Ness area around there. Yep. There's a small bar over there called the Black Horse okay. London Pub. It's like the smallest bar west of the Mississippi or something like oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. There's like three stools in there. Yeah, it's a very, very kind of tiny sliver of a bar, you know, in this kind of place where, you know, you get up, uh, you, you can't have your cell phone, and if, you know, if a lady comes in, you give up your seat, and there's no oh. TVs and all that kind of stuff, so. Manners. Yeah. Okay. okay. Well, all right. That's interesting. So did you move to New York from San Francisco, or were there any blips on the radar in between? No, I, um, <laughs> uh, so I met my wife, actually, in San Francisco. We were married there. Um, cool. At uh, Cliff Hotel in downtown. Um, Sweet. And uh, and then she's from St. Louis. Okay. Uh, so we moved to St. Louis uh, and had a child. 
Uh, so we had family kind of around that area, so it made things a little life a little easier, easier having yeah. family as it, as it is totally. when you have a kid. So, um, yeah, so we did uh, St. Louis for, you know, maybe five years that so we okay. were there. We were raising him. Uh, and then we moved to Detroit. Uh, we I worked with StockX. Uh, oh, for that's about right. Three years. That's right. I'd forgotten you were at StockX. Yeah. And then uh, from there uh, uh, to New York. So what were you doing for StockX? Um, so I was uh, the director of, the, of their luxury, luxury vertical. Uh, so I started there when they um, wanted to kind of build out the watches and handbags and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then, of course, the sneaker side of the business kind of blew up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're kind of pulled in a lot of directions and all hands on deck doing whatever. You know, I'd be helping, uh, you know, ops team till late at night pack the stuff up. It's just, you know, kind of reacting to the growth of the business. Wait, so did they start with all those segments? Just sneakers. Okay, I yeah. thought so. Okay, I and thought then, watches came later. Yeah, they came slightly later. Uh, watches and handbags, and and that was a little tricky. Uh, but uh, with a guy named Reg Brack, um, uh, he is former Christie's uh, guy. We kind of built the watch catalog there and launched that business, and yeah. you know grew it as, as well as we could in the midst of the kind of storm of the sneaker <laughs> business going right, gangbusters. Right. So, yeah. Interesting. So, what years were you there, like at StockX? Um, 17, 18, 19. Okay. Yeah. So, but you were with Hodinkee before that then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So how did you get on board with Hodinkee? Um, so that was uh, in, in San Francisco. Um, Hodinkee had kind of been on my radar. Uh, but there's a guy named Jeff Quo uh, who ran a watch brand called Zetum. X-E-T-U-M. Very interesting watch. Lugless design. Um, very nice guy too. Uh, he knew Ben uh, and he introduced the two of us. Uh, I always liked watches, um, sure. and uh, I was enthusiastic about it. So, yeah. you know, I, I started writing for Hodinkee way back then, and this was, you know, there was just a small team of I sure. mean, blog was still kind of a four-letter word to watch brands and stuff like that. And so, um, you know, and then we, we you know helped them develop the shop and all that kind of stuff. And cool. Write wherever I could, review watches, take a bunch of trips over to switzerland to cover the industry and new watches and stuff like that just kind of thrown into the into the deep end so amazing yeah what was the first article you wrote for them it was about a panerai uh i don't remember exactly which one and i remember so it wasn't your personal watch it wasn't my personal watch it was like just a new watch that had come out and i think yeah. it's kind of like a good starter territory you know? sure <laughs> yeah um but then a couple months later i was like in switzerland with parmigiani Fleurier, and you know, seeing their facilities and watching, I mean, went to the museum of the lock and did all this crazy stuff. So it was like full on, like, wow, unreal. Here's a look behind the curtain kind of a thing yeah. <laughs> right off the bat. So yeah, that was like my first impression of the Swiss watch world. What yeah. was your first watch? Um, a Seiko, uh, seven zero zero, uh, two, uh, which I still have. That's uh, amazing. So it's the kind where you, you shake it, you can't wind it. <laughs> it's just, right. Just the, movement. just the rotor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's mechanical. You still have it. Yeah. It's Seiko. What more can you say about that brand? Exactly. And stood the test time. Still a really cool watch. Still love wearing it. It's one of those watches, you know, enthusiasts, they know. Sure. They see it. Like, yeah. It's kind of like, cool. it's like the precursor to the SKX uh, 009. Yeah. So. Which is uh, a watch I had. Uh, that was my first Seiko, actually. The 009. Love that watch. 
A so, lot of people, it's great for his watch. Yeah. You know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's good looking. It's robust. You could surf in it. You could bang it around. You can surf in it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you can You can even surf in it. Yeah. In this dive watch. Yeah. <laughs> you could wear it in the shower. You could wear it in the shower, wash dishes with it, and stuff like that. No, you California people, you just drop yeah. that into it. Yeah. You surf in it. Sure. Well, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so yeah, so how did how did you so you left StockX for Worn and Wound? No, I was there for three years. Um, you know, I, my wife and I we didn't want to be in uh, Detroit for the long term. Nothing against Detroit. Met really lovely people there. We had a really beautiful house there, um, but it just wasn't like the long term play for us. Sure. So um, you know, the company kind of reorganized a little bit and kind of changed into, you know, now it's kind of more, they really need people like me there. Uh, it kind of moved beyond just like the enthusiast people using the site. It was kind of like everybody and their mom using their site, using the site. So, um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, that was the end of that. Uh, we sold our house and, um, uh, came back to Wisconsin for a couple of months to kind of resituate all of our belongings and, size down for the move to New York. <laughs> so, right, right, yeah. right. So what was the first gig in New York City when you landed there? I mean, it was, it was, I moved there for Worn and Wild. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I had known these guys for a long time, of course. Uh, it's a small world. Yeah, in, of course. watch media uh, yeah. space. So um, they had, uh, their prior editor went to Grand Seiko. Okay. Uh, Ilya, uh, also a great guy. Um, uh, and Grand Seiko obviously doing amazing stuff. Sure. Uh, so, uh, so it's just kind of like a right timing type thing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, I know you guys, I can do that. Uh, you know, I can help growth and, 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 you know, kind of evolve that business into something, you know, build on, they had a great concept, like the, you know, the platform. So I didn't want to change that. You know, I want to keep the same, like, this is how we look at the watch world. This is how we talk about it. Uh, it's not about like glorifying prices or anything like that. It's, it's about, you know, being accessible and approachable. So we, you know, it's, it's kind of, this is what you're enthusiastic about and we talk about it in an enthusiastic way, you know, and it's, it's the same if it's a $500 watch or a $500,000 watch, like it's not about that. It's, you know, what do we find interesting about it? Why are we enthusiastic about it? And we'll share that, you know? So you guys have sort of morphed though, because like the early days of Worn and Wound, to my understanding, at least we're, we're kind of the $500 to maybe the $5,000 watch. Yeah. And you guys have sort of morphed into a little price agnostic, let's say. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It really is based in that like enthusiasm. Right. You know? Exactly. So, uh, and, and I kind of happen to come from a slightly higher end world and, uh, in the independent space, which I happen to be really enthusiastic about. Sure. This is something that I'm, um, have knowledge of and like to talk about and want to be able to share that enthusiasm. So, yeah. you know, so we're not afraid to go into those spaces when necessary, yeah. but it's not like an advertising play or a partners right. or whatever. It's just, I, we have to find something interesting about it. Yeah. When, but an expensive watch being expensive. That's not what makes a watch interesting. Right. right? And so right, totally. that's just, it's, it's we're not going to glorify it just because of that. Right. Yeah. No or the celebrity wore it or whatever. Like I don't care about any of that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah. Same subscription over here. Um, so what is a normal day like for Blake Bettner then? Because I mean, you, you, obviously do the podcast, right? So yeah. like that, that hour, if you will, is going to be very different than the rest of your day, I'm sure. Yeah. So yeah. tell me a little bit about like, I don't know, like your schedule and, and kind of like what life is like there. So, uh, 
so it's great. I mean, I've, I've got writers um, that I tap into all over the world, um, and I've got a core team of editors um, that, uh, that I work with and manage. Um, our associate editor, Zach Kazan, uh, and uh, Thomas Kalara out in California. Sure. Um, Ed Jelly in New York, uh, a few guys over in the UK. Um, so it's 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 a good mix of like diverse voices uh, that I'll try to tap into. And uh, but it's it's really kind of you know day to day managing the calendar of what is upcoming, where are things in the production queue. You know, is this behind or is this, you know, whatever, kind of managing that yeah, to make a lot sure of management. That, yeah, that we get the kind of day to day there. And, and if, you know, Zach Kazan does a great job in, in, in keeping that sorted. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'll kind of work with um, Cat Shoulders, who, who recently came on, yeah. who's, who's been who's doing amazing stuff uh, to develop uh, kind of bigger content uh, ideas for longer term type stuff uh, cool. or, or editorials that we want to start planning and uh, watches that we're kind of bringing in that need to get into like the production cycle. Uh, for photography or for videos, uh, we're trying to make more video productions uh, to complement the editorial productions that we're doing. So now, is that only going to live? Is that native to the site? Is it on YouTube? Is it both? So it'll be, it's both. We'll kind of build you know small things uh, for, for the site, but it's it's you know we want to grow the YouTube channel sure. uh, there, and you know we get a lot of cool watches around us. We have a lot to say about them, you know. And honestly, like we'll, we'll have some watches in and just kind of. Uh, like impromptu discussions about things that cool. a piece of news or a watch, you know, we'll sit around for 40 minutes talking about this thing or, or this watch or this thing that happened. And, you know, we're kind of like, how can we turn this into content? You know, I, right, I think people right. are interested in this kind of thing more than, you know, well, here's a watch. Here's like its measurements and how it breaks down. And yeah. you can find that kind of stuff out right. anywhere. It's Google. like, well, yeah. what, do, you know, what do we think about it? You know, and, and why do we care? Or not, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, sure. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's really kind of finding ways to kind of diversify what we're talking about and how we talk about it, yep. uh, while maintaining that kind of worn and wound like voice, you know. So shout out Thomas, by the way. Yeah, uh, shout out Thomas. Good, good, good buddy of ours, obviously, and uh, my neighbor, who will soon be your neighbor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> sorry, not sorry. <laughs> so yeah, fair, fair. Uh, Thomas has a column called Out of Office. Yeah. Is that something when, when a writer, for example, like, like, like Thomas, does he come up with that and approach you said, Hey, I'm interested in writing out of office or is it like, Hey man, I want to do something like, how, how does that concept come about and, and why or how do you say yes or no to accepting that kind of content? So I have weekly meetings with my writers where we, uh, you know, I challenge them to come up with new concepts, uh, that we can run with and, uh, you know, so sometimes they'll bring ideas to the table that are great, uh, but they maybe need a little bit of fleshing out. Yeah. And that's, that's what I want. You know, I don't want them to have to worry about, oh, this needs to be like ready to go when you bring it. Like, just tell me what you're thinking about and what yeah. you think would be cool. And then we can work together to, to kind of flesh it out into what it needs to be. Sweet. Uh, so this was, was, was one of those. And Thomas has a really unique skill set and a great eye and he does really interesting things. And, you know, I want to kind of lean into his strengths. Sure. Uh, so, you know, when he came up with it, um, you know, it didn't even take all that much massaging. Like he had a pretty good idea of like, okay, I think this would be really cool. Yeah. Um, and then it's just a matter of like, okay, well, let's get the right watches in his hands. Right. Um, and then whatever resources he needs from us to be able to do the kind of adventurous type things. But the concept for that really, it's not like this big grand thing. It's just, you know, hey, take a, um, 
you know, a moment out of your day or your weekend and go do something uh, around you that maybe is unexpected. Like all the stuff that he's doing is like day trip type stuff. It's not 100%. like grand stuff, you know? So it's, it's supposed to be kind of inspiring people that read it to just get out in their own backyard and do stuff and find things around them, yeah. um, you know, without having to feel like, oh, it's impossible to go have these adventures on the other side of the world or something like that. Right. It doesn't have to be like that. Right. It's out of office, you know? Yeah, you know, it is and fair play for, for, for orchestrating that because to, I think to your point, it's most of the kinds of content like that look like it costs a million bucks to do. Yeah. And he's doing it on, you know, shoestring budget, yeah. bootstrapping content, and I, and it's it's all the better for it, I think. Yeah. It yeah. reads well, it's doable, it's achievable. It, I Hey, I can do that too mm-hmm. to kind of inspire those folks. And, and it's really like, the, it's the point of view that I want to foster with him. And he's got a great one. Um, and, you know, I, he wasn't, he's not a trained writer or anything like that. So when he came on, you know, we worked with him a little bit and, and we would go through kind of line by line edits of things that he was writing and stuff like that. But he picked a lot up really fast. And now he's like, OK, he's got a lot of On potential still. So after yeah. the races. Yeah. Cool. Speaking of races, F1, baby. F1 mid-season here. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so the last time we talked the season, I think it like just kicked off yeah, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. So. All right. Tell me your F1 background, meaning like when did it all begin for you? Because you precede. Uh, drive to survive unlike many folks out there <laughs> yeah I, I actually i don't watch drive to survive okay. uh, so um it, it, it this was a as an american like it's a tough sport it has traditionally been a tough sport to follow it's impossible to watch at like, 3 a.m yeah so and, and even like uh you know when i started like kind of getting into it and like the early 2000s 2010 stuff like that um you know it's not like i was following super closely like i was aware of it but it wasn't like on tv or something i couldn't watch it it was just kind of something you would hear about and it was like ooh, that's that's sexy that's cool and yeah. you know when the, you know when, when whenever they would have races in the u.s which like wasn't all that often you would kind of hear about it or make news so like seeing the last few years it's growth like really come and, mm-hmm. and now i can like turn on espn in the morning and see it that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, for, for me in New York, it's a little bit easier, you yeah. know, where it might be like three for you and it's like six for me or something <laughs> yeah. or four for you or seven for you, whatever it is. Uh, so I've gotten into it like with my son and now that it's like more accessible, um, like we really enjoy uh, watching it. Even my wife will get into it. Like they're exciting races, That's uh, awesome. you know, like uh, Canada, uh, I think it was uh, when the qualifying was in the rain. So the, you know, the starting grid was kind of like totally out of whack. And yeah. like, those are the most fun. You know, I love seeing that kind of stuff. Uh, and even a- the last race uh, uh, in Austria, yeah. uh, I think had, had some high drama uh, yeah. moments. So I like seeing more competitive cars. Yeah. The midfield, I think, is really fun to watch. Sure. Uh, and it's been fun watching some of the teams kind of ebb, ebb and, and flow. flow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like with the car, like, what's it going to do this week? Is the Ferrari going to make it to the end of the race? <laughs> I feel bad. In Austria, I t- you know, it was whatever lap 42 or 50 or something like that. And I told, I told my wife, I was like, oh, because she's like, oh, this is going to be easy. Like Ferrari. And Carlos. One, two. Yeah. And I was like, don't say that with Ferrari. I don't know. Like, it's no guarantee that they're... Cur- and then, like, a lap later... Your, your <laughs> so, wife did the so, announcer's curse. Yes. Yep. Yep. She asked about it. And, there, and then, sure enough, and there it was. Uh, which also gave uh, Lewis Hamilton his first podium right. in Austria, a track that I think he's, he's kind of traditionally struggled with. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, there, but I was happy to see Charles get a... Charles. A w. Get a Get a dub there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah totally. Well-deserved for him. I couldn't agree more. So, early 2000s, you're picking up the sport. You're watching it early in the morning. 
are you team focused? Are you driver focused? What was the, what was the pull? I mean, it was driver. Like Michael Schumacher was such a dominant For name, sure. you yeah. know, and Ferrari. Um, and then kind of going into the phases of like a Vettel and Alonso yeah. and like young Hamilton coming in. Just like, domination. Yeah. Yeah. And then like a uh, Braun and uh, Jensen Button. Yeah. It was just like, oh, eight, you know, oh, forget nine. about it. You know? Yeah. 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 So, um, so, but, but again, it was, it was hard to like, I, I couldn't, I didn't have the ability to like, okay, week by week, like what's going on. It's yeah. just kind of like bits and pieces that you, I don't know, take in. Even the internet was a different place back then. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's funny drive to survive. Like my wife's into that show to mm -hmm. uh, like peripherally because I watch it. Yeah. But like the races she can care about, but it is always funny because she'll come downstairs and hear me on my laptop and it, and you know it's it's playing on YouTube the highlights from qualifying or something and then yeah. and then she just she's she's the person who's like Kimi Raikkonen you know like she's always like impersonating <laughs> the, the, and then just keeping on about her day she'll just like yeah. walk by say a driver name and walk out of the yeah. room it's just so funny. look there's some great accents and uh, to 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 observe there's some great names and yeah. some great personalities of yeah. course. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen chief among them I certainly miss his uh, nice character uh, yeah. that, that he brought to it uh, but good on him for getting out and doing his own thing yeah hundred percent so so who are we following today are you Ferrari guy sounds like um, I, I mean I, I like those guys um, but uh, I, my son is a big Lewis Hamilton fan okay Mercedes I like George Russell um, you know I, I'm he's class and with them like kind of in that three spot now mm. it's kind of interesting to follow like what are they gonna do to their car like how are they gonna get on pace for the next race and i really like seeing podiums with three different teams yes uh, I, I do too so yeah. and and i like i mean max i think is one of the most talented guys out there obviously right. uh and and well-deserved driver champion um last year uh so you know it's when he's just like running away with the race it's kind of like okay and then you can start paying attention to like the midfield stuff which right. is interesting right. and fun and you know which is kind of what we've seen for the last eight years with Lewis and exactly and Nico, yeah you know so I mean? it's Those fun to see are... them in a different position having to like work through it totally and you know with with Lewis uh you know I, I mean think... no offense to your son but you know it's great yeah. to see <laughs> yeah. well he as, as far as he's concerned he like his whole exposure like started last season and he was like okay. heartbroken in at the last race oh, when that man. happened he was like God. in tears he's how, like, how old your son he's 10 okay so like he's he's yeah. he gets it he gets it yeah, yeah. Uh, he made his own Lewis Hamilton costume for for Halloween oh, and all man. this kind of stuff. So that's great. So yeah, Abu Dhabi last season, the the, the final race when that happened, uh, I, he was just like beside. He was like, Cons I, I, like him. a lot of people, I think you know, um, and nothing against Max. I think he's a well deserved driver champion. Uh, but I think Lewis had that race in the bag. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I, so for him, he's. He's not seen Lewis himself win the championship. And I, I think Lewis has won more driver's championship in him yeah. yet. I so I have, I think I've said this on the podcast before, maybe even multiple times because I can never remember what I say. But uh, I, I really feel like a lot of the discontent coming from Lewis, I mean, aside from other implications, but like race related and car related, mm -hmm. I think he knew that he wasn't going to be competitive this year. Yeah, I think I think they knew coming out of um, like the practice sessions before the season that like this this car has a long way to go, but there's potential in it. Yeah, and and I think that he was more like like look, we can get the car like good and we can settle for being like a solid like third place team, 
but I don't think he wanted to go that route because I think George has been consistent with the car where you've seen like Lewis put or the, you know, the engineers and the team kind of do take more risks with Lewis's car. Because for him, you know, I think right or not, he's kind of like, well, I don't care if I'm like third or like 14th. Like, yeah. I, I don't like I want to get the car right to where I'm competing for wins. Sure. You know, like I'm not just going to settle for like a pretty good car. Like let's tweak it. It might work. It might not. And, and we've seen that happen. Totally. Where, like sometimes some weeks the car is just like not there. And some weeks uh, in recent weeks, you know, it seems like it's close to pace. Uh, you know, so I think the second half of the season is she, like the points wise, it might be right, out of the cards, right, right, you know, right. but I think if they can get the car where it needs to be, it, it should lead to like a really entertaining next season. So if Ferrari can kind of work on their reliability issues, um, even same with Red Bull to, to an extent and consistency mm-hmm. issues for, for Red Bull, um, you know, and then Mercedes can get their car up to spec. Then I think we get the season that we all want, you know, do you think if Lewis wins at eight, does he walk away? I think he should. Uh, yeah. If I mean, I would want like. See, but, I think that's why I think he was so beat up because I think had he won last year, I think he was planning on walking away. He was away. just like, yeah. And he knew that he wasn't going to get one this year. It is is my hypothesis. But look, I, he's still driving at like an incredible level. Yeah. And, and, but George is. And George is Mr. Consistency. Kinda, yeah. Mr. Yeah, yeah. Consistency. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's just solid as a rock out yeah. there. You know. I think uh, you know. I was a little. Like, I don't know, like Botas was, was great. I was just he, thinking of Valtteri. Like, yeah. I like him a lot. Same. Uh, I still do. And I think he's doing a great job um, over at uh, Alfa Romeo. And he's, he's probably a great mentor for, for Joe Guanyu. Um, thankfully, oh, my God. Good Lord. Yes. Oh, my God. That crash I, I, was insane. That was horrifying. And like, yeah. I was thinking Grosjean. Like, the worst crash definitely since Grosjean. Oh, yeah. 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 It, it was one of those moments where, like, when I when – I, because I saw it live, and then of course they didn't play the replays, and like I right. took my son out of the room, because right. like, I was like, this this could be really bad, uh, yeah. you know. And then like seeing what actually happened to the car, I was like, oh my god. So, anyways, thank, thank God goodness. for the halo. Uh, yes, thank th- yes, yeah, the halo. I think once again showing that like okay, this this thing needs to be there. It, so. it serves a purpose as much of an eyesore as it may be. It's 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 functional, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Lewis still has his head uh, after Monza last year, right? And, yeah, uh, and, Guan, Max going and over. Uh, Joe Guan Yu, same situation uh, this year. I've never seen a car do that. No. Uh, like, oh, it yeah. just got tossed in the gravel. Yeah, well, it actually ended up being stuck between the tire wall and yeah. the fence, separating oh, yeah. the crowd. Then and there was and that too. you know, good on George for like stopping and getting out and running over and. Mm. Uh, I mean, yeah, just just horrifying. So, but I think it's a testament to how, like, just how well engineered those cars are. Right. That he got out and was kind of, you know, right. seemingly none the worse for wear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's incredible. Um, back to business a little bit. How do you guys pick your guests? Is there any rhyme or reason? Because I have very little myself. No, I don't have like a strategy for like, these are the kind of people, like it's really people that just like enter my orbit that I find interesting. That's how um, I do it. Yeah. And, uh, and you're like, you know, oh, you're doing something cool. Either like you as a person or the product you're developing or the brand you're working for. Right. Let's talk about right. it kind of a thing. Right. And that's why they're kind of like all over the map. You yeah. know, Lydia Winters, the photographer and working in the gaming world who's into watches to uh, Roman Marietta, uh, the product developer guy at Zenith and, and like everybody in between, you know. Right. But 
it, it also it's not like it has to be some big name. Like if you're just into watches and I like find Wesley you Smith, like or, or, or me, like I, you know, I'm, you know, I don't care. Like if if you if you have a point of view and you've been, um, it, not, it's not like you have to have been around for a long time. But if you're like doing something interesting, you know, yeah. then I want to have represent those voices um, of the community and uh, of collectors. I think in general, and we had uh, Thomas Hall on um who's just a guy that we really love on instagram and he's a great you know has a really great keen like eye for details and the kind of stuff that he collects like i want to pick his brain for a little bit you yeah. know like guys like that that's cool so g-shock on the wrist today this is a citizen what is this? okay i all i saw was the rubber strap yeah whoa look at how gnarly this okay thing so is. this thing looks like um what was that movie <laughs> it's like a. It's like Mad Max-ish, but modern. It looks like it could have been designed by Oakley. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, it's got a little bit of that. You know what vibe. I mean? Like it's got like, it's a hodgepodge of design, which is, is astounding. Yeah. What? Okay, so talk about it's it. It's a diver. It's, it. it's an eco-drive diver. And it's got like this kind of squarish case with yeah. knurled edges that hold a bezel in. It's kind of, but it's real thin because it's the eco-drive uh, with a, like a, it's a titanium case actually. Really? And it's a blue camo It all looks dial. rubber. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, it, it's funny because this watch will elicit one of two reactions from people. Okay. Uh, which I have been getting yesterday. Uh, like, Mike Pearson down there. Yeah. You know, I walked up to him and I showed him. And he, like, visibly recoiled yeah, at the sight of it. He was like, what? Because he was mate? blown away or because he was like, no, don't get that like, thing near me. <laughs> disgusted by the look of it. So he, and, but then you show like other people, you know, like I showed Jason Heaton. He's like, whoa, that's awesome. Yeah. And like, Where did you, you know, I want to get one of those. Uh, it, it, there is no in between here. Like, right. It it's is divisive. It's a very distinctive looking watch. Maybe not winning any beauty contests, but uh, I think it's really cool. So what do, what's the history behind it? Do you know? Uh, this or is, is it like just a, like a It's a riff on a design that they had had, I think, in the 90s. Okay. Uh, and then, uh, so I just picked it up, actually, at the fair. Uh, Neil's great over so, there. So, fantastic. Yeah, shout out to Brick Row yeah. on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, super cool. But yeah, it, it's cool. So, um, what color is the dial there? Or is it like multicolor? It's blue camouflage. The lighting in this room is awful. It's camouflage. Oh, so it's like, oh, okay, so like naval camo. So yeah. blue on blue yeah, on navy. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Super cool. It's weird, uh, but I've been wearing different watches all all week here. It's fun. Um, What's the retail on that? 500, something Sick. like that. So, Super cool. Yeah, I, this is so much fun watches happening in yeah. that price range now. Like, we're totally spoiled. Well, <laughs> and you know, and, and I want to ask you about this because obviously we're at Wind Up Watch Fair here in yeah. Chicago. Warren and Wound puts it on. Yeah. What does this show mean to you guys as a business? Well, as a business, I mean, James and Blake, they can speak to, you know, the number side of it and all that kind of stuff, yeah, which, sure. which is great and all that. Like for me, like it is getting in front of the community and being a part of whatever's going on here. Like in the Midwest, you know, we haven't done this here. This is the first time doing it here in Chicago, right, uh, right. which has been fantastic. So there's a lot of, you know, huge uh, enthusiast communities here in the Midwest. So they're all showing up and people are coming from, you know, far and wide to be here and just hang out all day or come every day of the weekend and chat and show different watches. You know, you'd start talking to someone and then they'll like open their bag and pull out like a roll of their watches because they're just excited to like talk about them and show yeah. them to people. You know, yeah, I think you, you, it's easy to take for granted, like 
for me, I'm around other watch people like almost all the time. And I'm right. like talking watches all the time and, right. and all this. But I think for a lot of normal people, it's a pretty lonely hobby. You know, we're like, they're like, my wife is sick of hearing about yeah, this. I'm so yeah, glad they're, I'm they're, seeing your it. Your spouse is like, <laughs> it's a watch. I don't care. And all your friends are like, you dork here into watch or whatever. So they have nobody to like talk about this with. So, you know, right. they, they get they're around other people that are into it. And it's, it's not weird to like wear two watches on your wrist and like geek out over weird things like a date placement or a crown or whatever or bezel, you know. And, and, and I, I'm here for it, you know, and, right. and sometimes it's, it's, it's fun where I can just kind of like stand there and listen to right. people and just kind of soak it up. And I love encountering people that have their own like unique tastes and perspective on things that like doesn't match mine. Yeah. Uh, and then I get shown like an entirely different perspective and I love seeing that and yeah. then I get enthusiastic about it. Yeah. And even if it's not my taste or whatever, like that's not the point. Like it's me like experiencing somebody else's enthusiasm. That's very different from mine. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, that's how I like learn from it and grow. And then we're all like here to share that together. You know? Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun. I love that community part of it and that's what it is for me and my team. Yeah. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. And you know, obviously you're much closer to the watch community than I am even because you know, I, I used to get my kicks, you know, conversationally on, on watches, just working retail. So it was like the customer wore in, you know, I don't know, XYZ Seiko or Nautilus or what have you. Um, the cool thing about my kind of elevated and or luxury background in retail is that I, I literally got to see it all. You know, mm -hmm. you got to see the high, high end and you got to see the low end. And, yeah. and, and those conversations were wonderful. And then, you know, in L.A., it was it was, you know a little bit more high end, I would say. And then when yeah. I moved to San Diego, it was a more of a hodgepodge. And so that was really cool. Yeah. Um, and now that I'm here and closer to the community, I mean, you're just constantly reminded of just like how, how welcoming it is. And, and that's yeah. what I really love about worn and wound is that you guys are, are that sort of open embrace to, it doesn't matter what you're into. Price doesn't matter. Yeah. It's, yeah, a, it's, it's about it's what not you about find status, to be cool. Yes, right? exactly. We're not wearing watches right, for status. Right. I mean, yesterday I wore this and had an Urwerk on my other wrist and like, I'm equally enthusiastic about both of them. Right. You know, and, and it's, it's not a, like a peacocking thing. It's just, yeah. and, and some of the watches you walk around here, like there's some very, very nice yes. heavy hitter hardware walking around here. For sure. Uh, but it's not, it's just the same. Like it's again, like, you know, it's all kind of equal level, like enthusiasm. And yeah. it's not like, like, Ooh, that person has money to like buy that watch. It's like, right. Oh, that person is enthusiastic about like X, Y, Z type things. Yep. And like, here's a great example of that. And here's why, like, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's less of a show off type thing. Yeah. yeah. It's funny because in San Diego, like I, I now work out of the house, you know, I have my own brand full time. So I'm not really meeting customers face to face quite literally like I used to. Yeah. But it is kind of funny because it is sort of lonely for me in that way. But I, I have found more and more friends starting to reach out to ask me about buying, you know, hey, I yeah. want to buy my first watch or I'm looking for a diver or you know, how can you help me? And it's one of those weird things. Like it gets yeah. under your skin just a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And then it's kind of like, okay, I could see this. It's and infectious. then it's a deep, deep hole. To <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a disease, you know? Yeah. It's it a problem. It starts as a rash. It's and, a problem. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then yeah, you got like, you know, watch boxes with tons of watches and you're like, oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Right. Or you're, you're building watch boxes. <laughs> yeah. Yourself. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. That's hilarious, man. What, uh, so what are you driving these days? I have no car. Because of I'm New York life. I'm carless. Yeah, yeah, we sold my cars. So in Detroit, I had a Toyota Tacoma. Oh, perfect. TRD, six-speed manual, of Did course. Did you sell it for more than you bought it for? Uh, yeah. 
because yeah, resale. I sold it to a dealer uh, for yeah. Ex- ex- you know, I was just kind of looking to have a painless kind of okay. I'm I'm moving. I just want to get out of this. The and, exit uh, strategy. They made it very painless. It was like sure, we'll take it. What do you want it? Here's a you know of course. <laughs> so it was it was shocking. I missed that thing though. That was a cool thing, and um, uh, it was fun to drive too. Surprisingly, uh, with it that, handles uh, really well. And it's like yeah, it's a cool truck. I mean. It's still kind of like a small truck as far as trucks go. Right. I'm not really a truck guy, uh, but when we had a house, we had a, a yard, so we do yard work and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. The street was kind of like, it wasn't paved. So, yeah, it, it was like the perfect thing to have for Detroit. So we had it for a couple of years. I had a C300 Mercedes before that. Okay. Uh, the last generation that they made with a stick. Sure. Um, I've never owned an automatic, uh, a car with an automatic transmission. By respect, the way. <laughs> respect. I don't know. There's something about like I want to enjoy my drive. Like I don't care how fast I get to 60 or, right. or anything like that. That's right. not on my mind at all. Like, it's just engaging. I'm just yeah, yeah. I'm looking to be engaged with what I'm doing. Yeah. And totally. so the uh, so it's so yeah, I had the the C300 before that. Um, uh, and then I had a, a Cadillac ATS uh, oh, before that. The, the two liter turbo, it was the only one that came with a stick. And that one, that was uh, built on the Alpha platform. I think that was a really well handling. Well, you were in Detroit? Um, I was Caddy in uh, St. Louis okay. Uh, okay. for this. Yep. Right. Um, 370Z, 350Z. Uh, Damn, you've had a lot of cars. The Sabaru, the Saab 925. Is that what it was? Is it that was what the bit, golf was, ball, like softball size it was it was it was like uh it was like a wrx but with like sob skin Whoa. it was like a wrx wagon but with like sob skin uh, i have to look that up and, that sounds sick oh it was so cool my wife hated it <laughs> uh so that one didn't last like uh too long uh and then i had an actual wrx uh hatchback uh which was a lot of fun um amazing yeah uh yeah do, yeah. Are you interested in getting a car anytime well, soon? Well, that's the thing. Like, it's just not pragmatic. But. Yeah, I'm not in New York. Like right now, like I really value being able to walk to my office, sure. which is 10 minutes away, and not having to worry about like what side of the street I need to be parked on in a day or finding parking. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, yeah. And, and my wife works up in Midtown, so she just trains in, and it's easy for me just to get. You know, we live in Brooklyn, a part that's. Uh, um, very close to Manhattan, so it's it's you know 15 minutes we can be um, yeah. down in downtown. So, um, so I like that part of life there in New York. <laughs> you don't great. realize how much stress it adds to your daily life. The commute and sitting in traffic and me, it's like, uh, oh my god. Oh yeah, the, like oh, just in driving, general. Driving. Like, yeah, I thought yeah. you meant living in New York because like I, like carrying groceries on a train just sounds like a nightmare to me well look like we have our neighborhood places that we go and it's kind of more prescriptive like what do we want for dinner like the next few nights we'll go get like a few things and put them in the fridge yeah yeah that's that's normal which is different in the midwest you know you go to target you spend like 300 bucks and you get like all these bags (laughs) of stuff and you're like oh yeah (laughs) like you you it's you really have to like change your whole like a lot of the small things that you don't really think about day to day like and how you go about your life in in new york are you you're into baseball or no um, I am a little bit. Uh, I follow the Brewers a little. Uh, yeah, I was like, well, who's your team? Because yeah, you've lived in some crazy baseball cities. Yeah, the the, the crew. I grew up going to Brewers games. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, and they had some good teams in the eighties and yeah, of the nineties. Uh, Paul Molitor, Robin yeah. Yount, yeah. uh, Raleigh Fingers, going back before that. Uh, so, um, and then some like pretty mediocre teams, which was most of my growing up. <laughs> Pat Listash and Gary Sheffield. Yeah, and, Gary know, Sheffield. Uh, so. It's uh so they were fun games to go to though. But me and my family, we would go there really early and like tailgate, like grill out, do oh, brought, like the whole thing. That's like college football. 
Yeah. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Go Badgers. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so we would go like, we'd go to the ballpark early and then go to where the players would come in and try and get them to like Autograph. sign baseballs and yes. stuff like that. Yeah. So. so I grew up in Raleigh. So technically, not technically, I mean, it is the closest stadium, Camden Yards from Raleigh. It's like four and a half, five hours. So we would go there. I think it was like two and a half to three hours early before the game. And the way that Camden Yards would open is like their main gate was in center field, mm. but the visiting dugout was on third baseline. Yeah. So I literally, as an 11 year old, would run around Camden Yards like 270 degrees effectively, yeah. out of breath, run down the, the you know, 100 level section and got like, I mean, I was a Yankee fan, right? So, yeah. or still am. And so like Don Mattingly, Wade Boggs, yeah. when he, came over from yeah, the Sox yeah. and Chuck Knobloch. Chuck, yeah. Yeah. So I had all those things, uh, you know, signed, got Cal Ripken's autograph nice. early on and stuff like that. Yeah. So early days, man, getting those autographs and like looking at those guys, like they're superhuman. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's fun. I take my son now. Uh, we just went to a brewer game, um, in Milwaukee. They're playing the Cubs. Cool. Uh, they won in the 10th, uh, walk off, nice. um, which was great. And he was so excited about it. Um, and so now I've, I got to take him to, so I took him to games in Detroit. Um, and in St. Louis, uh, he's, he, he was born in St. Louis. So it. it's like, you know, look, it, you Card, have an easier Cardinals. life being a cards fan probably. And then a Brewers fan. <laughs> uh, so, you know, he, he's wherever he's spending time, he kind of, he's into that. And so that's awesome. Yeah. And all the ballparks now are just so plush. They're great. Yeah. I, I will say, uh, um, yeah, all my Wisconsin homies uh, cover your ears right now. But uh, the uh, Bush Field is very, very nice. It's, it's one of the better stadiums that, yeah. uh, that I've been to. Yeah. Dude, you got to come to Petco at San Diego. Yeah, the Petco. That's right. I don't like all these new names. Yeah, stadiums. I mean, they're stupid. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, all the sponsorships and stuff. Yeah. Just call it Padres Field or yeah. Stadium or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But like... It's, it's, I think it was just voted number one in the nation for, really? for baseball stadiums. Okay. Like the okay. food, and obviously San Diego beer, so the beer scene's insane. Is it? Uh, the food there's incredible. Uh-huh. And of course the weather's dynamite. So. San Diego. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, next time I'm in town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's and you're that. welcome anytime. Go to a ball game. Dude, Blake, this was super fun, man. And thank yeah. you for all the hospitality here and, 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 you know, being a friend here at the show and, and outside of the show for that matter. Yeah, of course. Uh, dude. And Always great to see you. Yeah. Really appreciate all your time. Yeah. Anytime. Dude. And thank you for being here and being yeah. part of, uh, of the wind up there. We really yeah, appreciate wouldn't it. Have missed it. Yeah, I'm having a blast and see you in New York. Sounds good. Okay, buddy. Thanks. Thanks. This wraps up this episode of the standard age podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd love it if you'd share it with a friend or two. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the show as it helps others discover these episodes. It absolutely helps far more than you realize. Shout out to Jensen Reed and super beautiful for the theme track, as well as clear audio for the noise canceling headphones. Thank you so much for listening and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care.